The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. And let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Lord, we thank you that you saw your people, saw people who were your enemies, Lord, that had sinned against you and deserved punishment, and that instead of giving us what we deserve, Lord, you gave us grace instead. You sent your Son to pay um, what we owed, and that his death provided us a way to be in right relationship with you, that we could be justified, and we could be your children. God, we thank you so much for such amazing grace. And Lord, we do desire that we stand amazed daily by your grace, but we confess that so often it's not the case, Lord. So often we just take it for granted. We take you for granted. And Lord, we become very comfortable as your children and and very comfortable in our position rather than every day just glorying in the fact that we can be a child of God. And so God, I pray that as we look to your word tonight, that you'd remind us of of who we really are and what we deserve, that we'd be reminded of how incredible the love that sent Jesus to the cross was, what a great sacrifice was made for us, and that we our lives would be reoriented around the cross. Lord, that we would find the cross to be our central motivation for how we live and that we would desire to proclaim the gospel with our lives and with our lips. And God, I pray that your spirit would work in ways that we can't. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We will have the opportunity in just a few moments to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a church family. And as you know, this is one of the most precious times in our church family. In fact, I think there's a lot of people here that would say that this is the most precious, most important thing that we do as a church together, that we sit around the Lord's Supper and we remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. This is a time that we corporately, as a a church family, reflect on the death of Christ, and it's a time for us to come to the cross individually and think about what Christ has done for us. And the truth is, the symbolism that we find as we break the bread apart, and as we pour out the wine, as we do those things, we see this incredible symbolism of what Christ has done for us. And that in itself is powerful. And we could just really quickly get get into that, and we'd have a wonderful service, a wonderful time together. But what we do traditionally here at Maple City is we spend a little bit of time drawing our attention to, whether by reading scripture or with a, a short lesson, drawing attention to something specific about what we do tonight at the Lord's Supper. So that's what I want to do in just a few moments this evening. And we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now you remember, as pastor's been going through the book of Corinth, Corinthians, that the church of Corinth was incredibly sinful. Almost unbelievably so. The church of Corinth would be the pastor's worst nightmare. Just every kind of sin imaginable, and many of these sins being celebrated within the church. It's a horror story of a church. And it's not surprising that a church like this one has done a great job of messing up the Lord's Supper. They've they've completely diminished what it was supposed to be. They've made it into this drunken party where there's two classes of people, and it's just, it's a disgrace to the church of what's going on here. So what I want to do tonight is I want to look at how they were messed up, why they were messed up, and then I want to take a look at what Paul's kind of solution for them is. Because I believe that Paul's solution for them in dealing with 
the sin that was going on in their church is very similar to the solution for us as we deal with sin in our lives. So 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 17, says, Now, in this I declare unto you that I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. You're coming together. Imagine coming together for the Lord's Supper, and what's happening here at the Lord's Supper is actually doing more harm than good. Can you imagine how disgraceful that would be for a church to get together to remember the death of Christ and for Paul to say, this is, it'd be better if you stayed at home and watched television. That's really what he's saying. Television or whatever else. And so he's saying, it's not for the better, it's for the worst. Verse 18, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there is divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. I don't know what you're doing, but whatever this thing is that you're doing, it's not the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone takes before other his own supper, and one is angry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Paul is quite unimpressed with what's going on here at the Lord's table, what they're calling the Lord's table at the church in Corinth. We find many different sins present here, but I got just three of them very quickly. We find disunity. The church comes together, and there's no kind of unity in this church. There's classes, there's cliques, there's sects, there's schisms, there's heresies. There's no unity under the gospel. Second of all, we find that there's discrimination against the poor. So you have these, these two classes of people, and, and the rich are actually keeping from the poor what they should freely give. So there's this terrible discrimination going on. And finally, we find disrespect for the meaning of the communion service. I know that you know, our lives, everything about our lives is called to be sacred and holy. And, and as believers, as children of God who have the Spirit living in us, we should live pure and holy and sacred lives. But we have to admit that when we come to an ordinance that's given by Christ, there should be a, a certain kind of respect here. There should be a sobriety, a seriousness about what's going on here. And this church has made it into this crazy party, drunken party. And so there, there's just no respect for what's going on in the communion service, what they're memorializing. So then he, what he does is he tells them what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be. He says in verse 24, And when he'd given thanks, so he's saying this is what Jesus said, when he'd given thanks, he break it and, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So here's the bread. It symbolizes my body which was given for you. And so every time you take the body, as you, when you take the bread, you have to do it in remembrance of Christ. Then verse 25, he talks about the, the wine, the blood. He says, After the same manner also he took the cup, and then when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. This cup, is the, it's the new covenant in my blood. So every time you do it, remember me. Think about me. Think about what I've done. Think about what this promise is. All of this is done to be in remembrance of, of Christ. And then what Paul does, he says, when you're doing that, 
So when you're doing the Lord's Supper properly, where you're taking these things and you're soberly thinking about the cross and thinking about what it means, thinking about the covenant, the promises God is making as he sends his son to die for your sins, as you're remembering that, verse 28 says, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So in other words, what we do when we come here is we remember what Christ has done and when we we, as we remember, we think very seriously about what we're doing, about our real lives, right? So, so what happens often in a service like this, where we do it in a, on a regular occasion, is it becomes very much like a religious tradition, where, where we do it and we let it pass and we, you know, we eat and we drink and we just kind of do the same thing over and over. It's very common in churches for, for a lot of people not to take what's going on here seriously because it's something that's done very often. But what Paul is saying is that this time when we come together is a time where each of us seriously thinks of what Christ has done, contemplates the cross, and then in light of that, we think about our lives. So what, what happens when we take communion is it's, it's an act of sanctification where we become more and more like Christ because as we do, as we think of the cross and compare what's, what he did with how we're living, what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our hearts, we change, we're transformed. So what we're doing today on Sunday as a family, as a church family, it should impact the way we live tomorrow and the next day. It should be changing us. This is not just a religious thing where you did it and so somehow it made you better. This is something where we come here to be changed as we remember and as we examine ourselves. We come together and all we do is we remember the cross. And I can imagine this church of Corinth, as immature and as worldly as they are, having many thoughts of this. What, Paul, seriously? I mean, you want us just to come and, then, and remember, and then come again and remember, and we're going to do this every week or every month or, or whatever. We're just going to do the same thing over and over. I think there'd be a lot of people, and there is a lot of people in our culture, who say, Paul, that just seems too obvious. We want something more interesting. We want to spice it up a little bit. We want to make it exciting. You can't just do the same thing again and again. Or maybe they say, Paul, that's too barbaric. What we're doing is we're just thinking about a guy who's crucified and thinking about his death and thinking about his blood. That's just... Too barbaric. I don't want to think about that kind of thing, Paul. I want to, I want to you know, put that in the back of my mind and, and kind of see Jesus as a person who was on the cross looking pretty, not suffering at all. That's not what this is about. Or maybe they'd say, Paul, that's too boring. Just the same repetition over and over. Maybe they'd come and they'd say, you know what? Last time we did communion, it moved me. But this time, it's got to be bigger. It's got to be better. We've got to make this more interesting somehow. That is the mantra of our culture. Do you realize that our culture around us is teaching us that all the time that things need to be bigger and better and more grandiose, and and as that happens, they become more exciting. So what do you get? You get better special effects. You get more exciting ads. You get bigger and brighter lights. That's the world around us. And, And the contrast to what we're called to do in the communion service is so striking. This is the most simple thing you can imagine. We're going to take a plain little wafer, and that's going to represent our Savior's body as it was broken. And a very simple cup of juice, and that's going to represent his blood that was poured out for us. It's such a simple thing. But we're called to do that. And we're called to do it because what we're called to do is only one thing. It is to remember 
the cross, to remember what it means for us. Uh, C.J. Mahaney wrote The Cross-Centered Life, and he said, The Spirit does not take his pupils beyond the cross, but ever more deeply into it. That's what the Spirit of God's work is going to be in your life, to bring you closer and closer to the cross, to make you understand what, was ha- what happened there more and more deeply, that we're not on this quest for the next new thing, but we're, we're sticking to what we got and we just get closer and closer to it and, and a better understanding of it. That, that's why some people, when they come to the communion service, they have a hard time even holding it together because they are thinking so deeply about something that is so important to them. And I would challenge some of you who come to the, the communion service and you don't really feel moved by this and it feels very, you know, just a normal little thing you, you take, to really think, Think more deeply about the cross and look around and see how there are people that are truly moved by what's going on. It's because they have a greater understanding of what happened at the cross. Mahaney also said, to grow in your passion for Jesus, increase in your understanding of what he has done. Never be content with your grasp of the gospel. The gospel is life-permeating, world-altering, universe-changing truth. It has more facets than any diamond. It has more depths than any man will ever exhaust. We just get more and more closer to Christ as we understand more and more of what he has done for us. And Paul believed that this church of Corinth, as messed up as they were, if they would examine themselves and remember the cross, they would be changed. It would change their perspective. It would change their motivation. It would ultimately change their behavior. And I believe he's exactly right. If we would do this and do it properly, it will change us. Because you can't think deeply about the cross and you can't examine yourself in light of the cross without being changed. Those things happen. They must happen. So when you remember, what do you remember? When we think about the cross, what do we think about? How does thinking about the cross change us? Do we think about the pain he endured? The separation that our Savior had from his Father? The physical torture that he went through? Do we think about the sacrifice that was made that the God of heaven took on flesh and gave his life for enemies? See, when we we really think about what happened, it does change us. If I think about giving my son's life for anyone, let alone an enemy, I start to comprehend a little bit better what kind of love God has for us. Now, I know we're never going to plumb the depths of his love. I understand that. But when we actually start to humanize Christ and understand that that God loved him with a perfect love, I say humanize, I know he's divine. But So when we understand this this relationship between the Father and the Son and, and the sacrifice that was made, understanding that and understanding what was done there at the cross, it changes us. The penalty of sin that he suffered, the wrath of God that was poured out on his son's head, the love of God that made it all happen, the grace that was shown to us who are so undeserving, his mercy and his forgiveness. See, all of these things ought to change us. It ought to transform our perspective on this life. It ought to change how we look at our sin. Right? We look at our sin in light of the cross. I hope it looks a little bit different to you. That it's your sin that put him there that he's suffering for what you are taking pleasure in, that that he's your best friend and and it's okay with you, that he's hanging up there 
being tortured for what you're enjoying? I'm telling you, when you go to the cross, it changes everything about you. Augustus M. Toplady in 1776 wrote, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I fly, sorry, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. And if we see ourselves coming to the cross that way, that we have nothing, that we are naked, that we are foul, that we we just need grace, then it will change us. Mahaney, in his book, also said, the cross was the centerpiece of Paul's theology. It wasn't merely one of Paul's messages. It was the message. He taught about other things as well, but whatever he taught was always derived from and related to the foundational reality that Jesus Christ died so that sinners could be reconciled to God and forgiven by God. This is the theme throughout all of Scripture. We could go through, and we won't tonight, but we could go through verse after verse after verse that points us to the cross, and then in light of that tells us this is how we ought to live. It is the cross that is our greatest motivation. Here at the cross, we find it all. So I, I want to kind of wrap this part of service up, this teaching, with just the words of the song that the girls just sung. Because the song is called Beneath the Cross of Jesus, and I think there is just an incredible message and challenge for us in that song. It says, Beneath the cross of Jesus, I find a place to stand and wonder at such mercy that calls me as I am. Isn't that incredible? That beneath the cross of Jesus, we find a place that though we are so wretched and blind and sinful and naked, we find a place that he calls us as we are. For hands that should discard me hold wounds which tell me come. What a gr- they, should, they should discard us. They should punish us. And yet they call us to come. Beneath the cross of Jesus, my unworthy soul is one. Beneath the cross of Jesus, his family is my own. Once strangers chasing selfish dreams, now one through grace alone. That, that's, that is what we are as a family now, as a church family. We were once chasing our own selfish dreams, and now we're one family. We're children of God. How could I now dishonor the ones that you have loved? Beneath the cross of Jesus, see the children called by God. Do you see how that impacts our relationships with one another? That now we're family, and now the, the person sitting beside you is one that Christ loved and died for? That ought to change how we treat them. Final verse, beneath the cross of Jesus, the path before the crown, we follow in his footsteps where promised hope is found. How great the joy before us to be his perfect bride. Beneath the cross of Jesus, we will gladly live our lives. I ask the men at this time to come forward. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church family.